Welcome to the American Lung Association's Tobacco Cessation Podcast. My name is Andy Julio, and I'm your host. Today, we're talking about pharmacists prescribing tobacco cessation medication and also providing tobacco cessation counseling. There's a number of states that have varying laws and regulations around this, and it's a really important topic when we look at the idea of access to tobacco cessation treatment. Data show us that most smokers want to quit, about 7 in 10 that want to quit, but unfortunately, only about 1 in 10 actually quit for good in any given year. That same data show that only about half of providers ask a patient if they want to quit and advise a patient to quit. So clearly there's a problem with access to qualified providers providing treatment to patients that want to quit smoking and to smokers. Today we're talking to Crystal Weaver, who's the Vice President of Policy at the National Alliance of State Pharmacy Associations. She's going to give us a little bit of a background on pharmacists' ability to prescribe medications, including tobacco cessation medications. Here's my conversation that I had with Crystal. Hope you enjoy. Hi, I'm talking today with Crystal Weaver. Um, Crystal, do you mind telling us a little bit about yourself and where you're from? Sure. So I am a pharmacist by training. I do health policy work with the National Alliance of State Pharmacy Associations, or NASPA. Uh, NASPA is an association comprised of the state-level pharmacy associations across the country, so the advocacy groups that work on behalf of the profession of pharmacy, advancing patient care in that area. Um, Our role with the state associations is to provide them with support for making their work more effective and efficient and coordinated across the country. And so I focus on policy work. I'm also a law student, and so I love the policy world. And I do research on current legislation and also existing authority related to pharmacist scope of practice on topics including prescribing tobacco cessation meds. Can you tell us a little bit about pharmacists prescribing medications? Is it a common thing? Who gives authority to pharmacists to be able to prescribe the medications? Yeah, so actually pharmacist prescribing is more common than you would expect in terms of the ability for pharmacists to do it in different states. In 49 states, pharmacists can enter into a collaborative practice agreement with a physician or in many states a nurse practitioner or PA, and uh, that other prescriber can delegate prescriptive authority to the pharmacist. Um, And in about 30 states, pharmacists can prescribe independently. So without a collaborative practice agreement, the state provides the authority to all pharmacists who meet the criteria to prescribe certain medications. There's a lot of variability state to state. It's not at all uh, consistent. Um, and so that the, rain, the variability is on things like which drugs can be prescribed, what the education requirements are, um, which patients are able to receive these types of prescriptions. And we see the authority going from just naloxone to in Idaho, there's very broad prescriptive authority where pharmacists can prescribe basically for anything that doesn't require a new diagnosis. So they can prescribe tobacco cessation meds, they can prescribe any preventive care treatment or um, treatments for what we'd call minor ailments or even uh, add on therapies for already diagnosed conditions. So like if a patient has diabetes, someone can add on a statin medication that they should have already had but maybe didn't for some reason. You mentioned collaborative practice agreements and some pharmacists being able to prescribe as part of a collaborative practice agreement and some being able to prescribe independently. Can you explain what a collaborative practice agreement is? Sure. So a collaborative practice agreement is a formal arrangement between a pharmacist and another provider, which is usually a physician, but can also be a nurse practitioner or a PA. Um, And about 
half of the states, nurse practitioners can enter into these agreements with pharmacists. And under this agreement, the prescriber, the physician, the NP, or the PA can delegate prescriptive authority to the pharmacist or other patient care services like lab testing or other things. Um, and within that agreement, they, the, the provider that's delegating the authority can stipulate conditions, they can have uh, certain arrangements between the pharmacist and the prescriber regarding communications that the pharmacist will give the prescriber updates on how the patients are doing or notifications when something's going on uh, and things like that. And so it's a really great way for providers to customize the kind of care that is provided at a local level. So instead of a statewide, everything's the same for everybody, individual prescribers and pharmacists can work together to have a broader, uh, more collaborative practice. Awesome. Thanks. You mentioned tobacco cessation medications and pharmacists being able to prescribe them. Do you think it's a good fit, and why do you think it's a good fit for pharmacists to be able to prescribe tobacco cessation medications? Yeah, I think pharmacists are an excellent fit for tobacco cessation prescribing and the corresponding uh, counseling service that goes with it. Uh, pharmacies are highly accessible. So 90% of Americans live within five miles of a pharmacy. Um, we know access, access is a huge issue, especially in rural areas. Pharmacies have hours that are more extended than the typical nine to five clinic, which means that people who are working and might not be able to easily get into an office visit can visit a pharmacist outside of those hours. Um, we have pharmacists in grocery stores, big box stores, uh, these big chains where people are entering all the time. And so potentially someone could be picking up their you know, milk at the grocery store and have an interaction with a highly qualified healthcare provider. Um, and the, the importance of that accessibility as it relates to tobacco cessation is that it allows us to reduce the time between someone having an inkling of wanting to quit and having immediate access to a healthcare provider who's trained on helping them make that decision and, and create a plan for quitting. Um, and I think reducing that time reduces the likelihood that they'll change their mind or delay until later. And, and also it gives us more touch points. So we know that tobacco cessation isn't a, a one-time intervention and people walk into their pharmacy often. Uh, there's data that shows that patients go into a pharmacy up to 36 times a year if they have chronic medications that they're taking. And so those frequent touch points would allow a pharmacist and a patient to develop a long-term relationship and have those uh, interventions as, as the trials and tribulations happen through the cessation process. Pharmacists are also medication experts, so they get trained uh, for six to eight years in pharmacy school, four years of pharmacology training, really intense medication-focused knowledge uh, that's unique to other healthcare providers. So they're really well suited to uh, help with the, the medication part of tobacco cessation and, and manage side effects and monitor for drug interactions and all of those components. Uh, in pharmacy school, Pharmacists receive training on tobacco cessation and also motivational interviewing, which can be really impactful on the cessation effort. And we know that the healthcare system needs help. We've got a physician shortage across the country in many areas. Our visits with our doctors and nurses are, are much shorter than, than the healthcare providers or the patients would like them to be. And so providers have to prioritize the interventions that they provide during that short time period. And so bringing in pharmacists who are in the community and accessible to provide this other cessation service uh, or help provide the cessation service on top of what's already being done could potentially make a huge impact. 
uh, and pharmacists are, are there and able to help, and so we should use them. And, and also there's evidence that it works. So in New Mexico, pharmacists have been prescribing tobacco cessation products for 15 years, and there's been research done to compare the, the quit rates that pharmacists, patients, see compared to when they receive services from other providers, and they're similar. So patients can get effective care from pharmacists. In the 15 years since that's been in place, uh, there's been no known reports of any unique health problems or anything, so it's a safe and effective service from an accessible provider. Great. That's awesome. Can you give us a little bit of a lay of the land in terms of the ability of pharmacists to prescribe cessation medications across the country. I know you spoke about it a little bit earlier, but if there's any more detail you can provide. Sure. So currently there are 11 states that have passed legislation related to pharmacists prescribing tobacco cessation meds. Uh, And there's another state, Missouri, that's passed in both houses and awaiting governor's signature. So we're uh, mid-session here, and so still things developing. Um, the authority started in New Mexico, as I mentioned, uh, 15 years ago, 2004, and has grown since then. The growth has been slow, um, but in the last few years, it's been pretty rapid growth. To have 11 more states uh, get onto a, a topic like that within a, within a five to ten year time frame is actually pretty fast for a new type of scope of practice authority. Um, as with collaborative practice agreements, like you mentioned, it's a highly variable authority. So it's different in each state, uh, the details. So in some states, pharmacists can prescribe all tobacco cessation medications, which I think is the, the right policy decision so that providers have the, the full range of options to help patients. Um, but in some states, it's limited just to nicotine replacement therapy because of concerns with the other drugs that are available on the market. Also, as we mentioned, the um, pharmacists can use collaborative practice authority to prescribe, and that includes tobacco cessation medications in some states. In some states, collaborative practice agreements are only for patients that have already been seen by the collaborating physician or nurse practitioner, which kind of limits how useful tobacco cessation prescribing is because the patient could just get it from that nurse or doctor if they've seen it, seen them already. Um, but the real utility is in helping patients that don't currently have a primary care provider so you can bring them into the healthcare system and refer them back out. Um, and so that potential in the states where there are broad CPA authority, there's a potential for even health departments to get involved. And if the medical director or someone else on staff is a physician or a nurse practitioner who can enter into collaborative practice agreements, in some states you can even issue a collaborative practice agreement for the whole county. And we see that in some places in the country. So it's Again, highly variable, 11 states currently, plus Missouri soon, um, and a few extra states with that broad collaborative practice authority. So you mentioned, you know, different, some states having different authorities and some states having collaborative practice agreements and some counties having collaborative practice agreements. How would I know if my state has a collaborative practice agreement or if my county does or if my county medical director is able to issue a collaborative practice agreement? Yeah, so I think the, the best source of that information is probably your state pharmacy association, especially public health professionals. We'd love to have those connections be built between the state pharmacy association and the public health department. Um, and if you don't, if the if a public health professional doesn't already have a good relationship with the state association, NASPA would be happy to help facilitate a introduction. Or if they can contact you at ALA, of course, we can Anytime. we can build those connections together. So um, please feel free to reach out. Great. Yeah, no, that is awesome. Thank you so much. 
So it sounds like while there are a number of states that do have collaborative practice agreements and allow pharmacists to prescribe cessation medication, there's a number of states that don't. But you kind of laid out a really good reason why pharmacists should be able to have this authority. Do you know what some of the barriers are, why pharmacists can't do this across the country and why it's not as ubiquitous as it potentially could be? Yeah. So, you know, with any scope of practice piece of legislation, the turf clause come out. And so there's just challenges with any healthcare provider having scope of practice bills. That's just the nature of the beast. Um, but beyond that, there's also a low knowledge of pharmacist training. We run into um, surprisingly uh, low awareness of how qualified pharmacists are to provide this type of therapy and other types of treatments uh, for patients. Um, one source of information, if you're not familiar with pharmacist education and qualifications, is a website called uh, pharmacistforhealthierlives.org. This is a public-facing page that can share information about what pharmacists do and what they can do uh, for public health. And there's also just lingering concerns about the medications themselves. So there was a black box warning initially on the, um, the prescriptions, pr prescription products, Chantix and Zyban, that was lifted in uh, 2016 based on a large double-blinded research study, um, the EAGLE study. And so we know now that they're safe and effective and the benefits outweigh the risks, but that initial black box warning that was on there still is confusing and scary to people, and, and there's still confusion about that having been lifted by the FDA. And so it's important for people to know that the FDA, with all of their scientific rigor, has determined that these drugs are safe and effective, and the benefits far outweigh the risks, considering how dangerous it is for people to continue smoking. Um, and so getting that type of information out uh, is really helpful to overcome those barriers. Great. Thank you. So in the states where pharmacists do have the authority to prescribe or have the collaborative practice agreements, are there barriers to getting pharmacists to actually do the cessation intervention, do the counseling, prescribe the treatment? Kind of how does that actually work in practice, for lack of a better term? Yeah, there's definitely challenges. So one of the things is just that it's so inconsistent across the states. So a lot of our pharmacies, two-thirds of the pharmacies in the country, are part of large interstate chain pharmacies. And for a large pharmacy like that to implement a new service, that is not consistent across each state is really challenging for them just logistically. Um, and there are other very acute barriers to implementation, regardless of what kind of pharmacy we're talking about in terms of the pharmacist's time. So all of us have been in a pharmacy and seen it be chaotic. They've got a lot going on. They're understaffed. Um, they're running all over the place. So having the time to sit down and talk to a patient about smoking cessation doesn't seem like something very feasible uh, today. But that challenge has roots in a, a problem with the business model of pharmacy that's primarily based on the cost of drugs at this point, which is something that the profession is trying to change and recognize the value that pharmacists provide from the patient service side versus the, um, the drug distribution process. And so those are logistical barriers that are unrelated to the safety and effectiveness of pharmacists being allowed to prescribe those drugs. And in order for us to overcome those logistical barriers, we have to have the authority in place because no, one, no insurer will want to pay for a service that isn't authorized by law. And so we've got to get the scope of practice uh, in place and so that we can, we can start to get those other logistical barriers overcome as well. So what advice would you give somebody who's trying to 
work to promote pharmacists prescribing tobacco cessation treatment, either on the state or local level? Sure. So I think that the best tactic is to lean on the data on this topic and the facts that we have. We know that pharmacists prescribed tobacco cessation services are safe and effective. Uh, They've been done for 15 years in New Mexico with good outcomes in research studies. We know pharmacists are highly qualified, and it's best that we lean on that that data and don't let the the turf wars get in the way of providing patients with good patient care. I would recommend that we help to build those connections, like we mentioned earlier, between pharmacist advocates and um, healthcare leaders in the community, so the health departments, um, building connections between like-minded groups is always a good thing. Um, advocacy groups like ALA at the state level and building those connections locally is the best approach to meeting local needs. Great. Thank you. Thank you, Crystal, and thank you to all of you for listening to today's episode of the American Lung Association's Tobacco Cessation Podcast. We hope you found it interesting. For more information, please feel free to visit our website, www.lung.org slash cessation TA. We'll be back soon with another episode of the American Lung Association's Tobacco Cessation Podcast. In the meantime, have a great day, and we'll talk to you later. Bye.